something a little bit different this morning. This is a vision Sunday, right? So we're not in a particular series. We're not really in a, in a particular text. What we're doing is, as a church, we're just thinking about the year that's coming, uh, coming ahead that we're, that we're now into here, 2024. And we are uh, looking ahead and we're, we're asking the Lord, we're, we're considering what are we going to be up to. Um, so this is, um, we're calling this Vision Sunday. And if you've been around churches, if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably been to a vision service before. Like, it's a pretty normal annual routine at most churches to, to spend some time. It's, it's standard stuff. But if you are like me, and I realize I'm a little weird, so maybe you're not like me, um, but if you've been to something like this, you, you probably liked, liked some of them, but you hated some of them. Um, and I, I just have like mixed feelings about this um, because because sometimes I've, I've gone to Vision Sunday services and it's like uh, it feels like what we're saying is we finally cracked the code, we figured church out. This is the year we're gonna do it, and then it's like really fun and exciting. But then next year we crack the code again, and this year we're really gonna get church right, and that becomes exhausting over time. Um, and it feels like, like hype, and there's so much rah, 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 and um, I, just, I just don't love that. Um, and I'm not trying to dump water on us here or, or discourage us. Like, it's important that we think about where is the Lord going to lead us. Um, and I think the truth is that, as, as I consider what this year is going to be like, I think we have every reason to be excited and to anticipate and to expect the Lord to do really good things. This is like a year, this will be like next month, will be three years that I've been pastor here. And if you know any, if you're, if you're really into the inside baseball of pastoring, like the first three years that you come in on a pastor is just like nothing really happens. Like you, you don't get much done in the first three years. You, people just have to get used to it. But three to five years like is, is the sweet spot for change and for, for big things to happen, because you're now kind of used to me, and I'm sort of used to you, and I've had time to, to think and pray, and you've had time to decide if you think I'm, I'm terrible and leave, right? <laughs> and you didn't, so thank you. Thank you. Um, and and like, like all these things, like, like there's, there's a lot going on right, right, right now in this time, and I'm so excited about this year, year number four of being, having the privilege of being the pastor here, um, but I'm going to tell you, um, we're not going to just crack the code for church this year. And in fact, what we're going to do, what I'm going to tell you about what we're going to do this year is a lot of like what we did last year. And, and it has to be that way because um, the church is not an organization that moves forward on the basis of, of creativity or leadership or, or whatever alone. It actually moves forward on the basis of what Jesus has told it to be. Like it is, we as a church like have this identity that we've received from Jesus, Jesus tells us what a church should be, what a church should be about. And honestly, when churches get away from those things, I think they end up, maybe, maybe they create a lot of smoke or they create a lot of excitement. They, maybe they even grow, but I'm not sure if they're about the business that we're really called to as a church. Because Jesus has told us what the church is called to. It's what he told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, what he's told them to go and be about. He tells them in Matthew 28, you know this passage, it's called the Great Commission. He's commissioning the disciples, commissioning the church to be about his business as in this, this next age, as he's ascended into heaven. This is what they're to do. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. This is, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' last word to his disciples as he's just on his way into heaven and there to take on this next phase of, of reaching the world and um, waiting for him and being the church in this interim period between his uh, first and second coming. And so Jesus gives the church marching orders. And you've probably, uh, typically when we think of this passage, we think of, we, we, we file it in our minds under the evangelism passage. It's, it's, it's the, we, we think of the, the first word in his command, which is go, right? And I, I think I have this on a slide. Go, right? It's this call to get out of your comfort zone, to leave where you've been and move out. And we uh, associate this call with the mission of the church to reach the world, to, to, to share the gospel with people. And churches, I, I think in America, actually are really good at laying hold of this thing. Most of what's happened in church over the last 40 years, most of the innovation has been around centering uh, evangelism, right? And, and, and making the church into an evangelistic organization. And I think that's actually commendable. But I think a lot of us think of this Great Commission passage as being a, a passage about going, but there's other essential elements that the church is called to that we can just lose track of. So yes, we are called to go, we are on a mission, we have a message, the gospel needs to be preached, the church needs to be representing Jesus and speaking on his behalf into the culture and calling people to repentance and salvation, but that is not the end of our occupation, that is not the full vision of what we're called to. The church is also, as Jesus goes on to say, called to discipleship. Can we go back to that other, back to the, the, the verse? Sorry, I should have intermitted, like, like spread it. He says, right? He says, all authority has been given to me, heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe the things that I've commanded you. So there is this call to go. But not, not to just, just go for the sake of going, not to just go and tell people about Jesus, but then when you've told them about Jesus, you are called to disciple them, form them into disciples, make them into disciples through baptism and through teaching them to obey the things that Jesus commanded them, right? That's the nature of discipleship. It's good. It's, it's the calling of the church. And while I, I do think the, the model, the predominant model in the United States of, of um, going and evangelism is, is, is really been centered, and I think we do that pretty well, I think most people at this point in, in the history of the American church would say, we maybe haven't done a great job of making disciples, Right? And it, it, it's a problem. I mean, the, the, of course, pastors love to, to wring their hands and talk about the crisis of discipleship, right? We don't know how to fix it, but there seems to be a bit of a crisis. Um, and it's, I, I, think, I think it is true. I, I, I am also a hand wringer in this respect. You know, like I get worried about, about, about discipleship. Um, we're called to be on mission, but we're also called to be disciples make, makers. We're called to mission and formation. We are to form people into followers of Jesus. And just to be honest, when I think about those two things, 
Evangelism, proclaiming Jesus, I don't want to say it's easy, but I'm saying it is very straightforward. This process of formation, discipleship, forming people into full-orbed, like whole-hearted, whole-soul, like whole-life followers of Jesus, it's much longer. It's much more, I think, complex. Like, and it, it's just less flashy. You know, and, and, and so it's hard to keep the focus upon it. But we have to. Like, we're called to mission. We're called to formation. And, I, and I, I put this kind of in a pyramid thing because I think we have to understand that the mission rests upon the work of discipleship. Because, like, like Paul says, like, how can they preach unless they're, unless they're sent? Like, like the, the, the call to evangelism, the call to mission is, is preceded by people who are being formed into followers of Jesus. So we need to be really concerned because the mission rests upon the formation. But that's not the end of this little passage that we call the Great Commission, right? The next verse is kind of seems out of place, right? Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And then he says, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we kind of, like, I kind of, like, don't see what the first part has to do with the second part until I really think about it, and I, well, then I think about it, and I can place it in this pyramid. What I actually see is that the call to go and and be a gospel mission-centered church, like, like, rests upon discipleship, and discipleship rests upon the presence of God, his abiding faithfulness, his continued work with us. He does not leave us. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. And if you're going to be a disciple, you need to remember that he's with you, even to the end of the age. And so I think this, this forms like the, the areas in which the church needs to be most concerned and most lean into. We need to be a missional organization. That's, our, that's part of our calling. We need to be formational, interested in discipleship, interested in shaping people. And then also we, just, we need to be interested in God's presence. We need to seek him out and be with him. And it's easy to forget that. Um, I am a forgetful person. You probably don't know me that well, but you probably know that. <laughs> um, I, I oftentimes will walk out of the house with my keys. Because I'm smart. And I walk out of the house with my keys, and my wife, who's very kind and, and knows me, and she's always got an eye on me when I'm leaving. She's like, he's going to forget something, right? And then when I do... She says, hey, hey, remember to take your keys. The reason she tells me to remember to take my keys is she knows that if I try to go without my keys, I'm not going to go very far. And what Jesus is telling the church right here now as he sends them out to go, he's saying, but remember, I am with you now and always. Don't try to go without me. If we read like later in Acts, right, the beginning of the church, recounting the beginning of the church, what Jesus tells his disciples there, you know, it's not recorded in Matthew, is that they need to wait so that his, his presence and his power will fall upon them. And then there's going to be this crazy outpouring of mission into the world. So what I'm saying is that, I, and I, th- I think this is, is really true, is that the, the thing we're most apt to forget is the thing that's going to make the go go. 
It's going to make the car turn over. And I think a lot of times we end up trying to go on mission and make disciples, um, but it's like getting to the car and then deciding, well, I'm going to walk or I'm going to push the car instead of going back and getting our keys. It's not very effective. We have to be people, and a church has to be a place where we are um, enjoying and seeking the presence of God, like because he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us so that we could know him and experience him, be convicted of sin, righteousness, judgment, be reminded of all the things that he taught us, and he is interactive in our life, and we are to be focused as a church on interacting with him and being the sorts of people who do that. And if you've been around this last year, you know what? We've been focusing a lot on presence, particularly on prayer. I have a slide for that, right? It's very complicated. We've been focusing on presence and, and particularly on prayer. And I want to say I am proud of you because a lot of you, and maybe not all of you, and that's not calling out those you're not, because it's like this, these things happen in waves, right? But a lot of you have really stepped into prayer this year. And it makes me so happy. I got um, a text from an individual who remained anonymous because I'm going to ask this individual to come up at some point and share their testimony. So I don't want to spoil that. But just this yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, just this person basically said, um, I've, been, I've been diligently praying for a year. And, and basically, it was really hard for a long time. But now it's great. Something to that effect. And... <laughs> One, that's an inspiration to me because I am apt to go and forget. And so I can just say, oh, how cool is that? That when we seek God and we put him first and we seek his presence, he actually does show up. And then suddenly life becomes easier. And the whole process of being a disciple becomes easier. And the whole process of mission becomes easier. When I put the presence first, when I, when I seek him first, you, he really will show up. And church, we cannot forget it. We get so consumed with our programs and our busyness and stuff like that, and I get it. I, I like that stuff. I like that stuff. It's fun. Um, but I will, if, if we get to the end of my pastorate here, whenever that is, and we walk away and we haven't become a church that learns to pray and be present with God, I will consider it a failure. And um, not like a failure that I feel guilty about, but it's like, oh man, we had an opportunity to lean into, to, to, to get into this, to work with God, to work with God and to do the things that he's called us to do and to do them effectively. And it wasn't through creativity or programming and that stuff is good and great and fun, but it's because we sought his presence and we learned to pray. And that's rare, frankly. It's rare to be people who pray as Christians, which is crazy when you think about it. And so I've seen you guys growing in prayer. We've been focusing a lot on prayer. This, you know, become everyday disciples. I've been asking you to lean into the, these habits, but you'll probably notice that I've been emphasizing this one, meet with God every day. That's where we have to begin. If we're going to become disciples of Jesus, we need to be people who are meeting with God every day. Um, and it like not, not just like doing something, not some rote routine, but it's like we're doing whatever we need to do to be in his presence and enjoy him and to hear from him. And that's going to be honestly different for different people, but it is going to be something you do every day. And you need to learn that habit. And so we're going to start to do that and we're going to continue to do that. And I'm going to talk about this a lot more and I am going to push you to pray a lot more. I'm not a pushy person. I'm probably a pushover. Um, 
but I'm going to be stubborn about prayer. And maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you've been just like, ah, he'll get over it. It's a phase. We'll stop talking about prayer. I am going to disappoint you. I'm going to keep talking about it until we are all the sorts of people who pray, which is a big ask. But we have to do. Because it would be such a shame to miss it. We would be forgetting to do something essential. So we are going to continue on. So expect that this year. We're going to continue on in prayer. We've started this, um, you know, once a month uh, prayer, prayer meeting I want, I want all the, I want everyone here, everyone there. That's my goal. I want everyone, okay, I, I get it, Something, not everyone, but I want us to seek out prayer. I want us to do that more. I want us to be people who are building this stuff into our everyday routines where we're actually meeting with God. I want to see us moving out into the challenging stuff, and, and so we're doing that. And years, I'm okay with that. I'm not disappointed that it will take years. I would be dumb to think that it won't take years. But I'm in for it if you are. Just keep reminding me and I'll keep reminding you. He's with us now. He's with us forever. We need to seek him more. Like personal prayer, that's going to be a big thing for this year. But also, honestly, and this is something I have to, to confess to you. Like, like um, I really, I really, um, I had some plans this past year in 2023 to really kind of make our gatherings more places where it's like, man, man, God's presence, like we're seeking God's presence together. And I think we do that some. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, oh, we're, we're doing it wrong. We need to do it right. That's not it. But it's like, I want to center this seeking of, of God together in, in worship and in prayer more in our gatherings. And I'll just tell you what happened. I lost my nerve. I had plans. I've got them written up. I've talked to them about people. And there was a few things, like a few resistance points, and I've lost my nerve, and I haven't pushed it hard enough, but I am going to, in 2024, like, we are going to be a church that in this time, like, it's more centered around seeking the Lord's presence and his power, because we need that. Like, we need to see him work. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. We need him to be changing and transforming us, and we need to be about that business as a church. And I lost my nerve because, well, because I got too busy. I'm, I'm easily distracted. I also know that people don't like change. And change is hard, and it's complicated. But we're going to change this year a little bit about how we organize things. And so I'm sorry that I didn't have the nerve to follow through in some of my plans this year. And I'm just saying this so that you can just keep asking me, hey, you said, you said we're going to do it. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. We're going to make some changes. We're going to try some things. They might not all work. That's okay. But we're going to keep doing what we need to do in order to come together and seek the Lord's presence together, okay? So that's something that I'm looking forward to. I don't, and I'm not talking about really weird and drastic stuff. I'm not talking about that. I, but I am talking about simply centering our time on waiting on the Lord, like, like seeking him out and, and, and expecting that he's actually going to show up. And that's the thing. It's the expectation, right? A lot of times I don't, why didn't I want to make these changes? Because what if we do it and it doesn't work? And that's going to be an epic fail. And how disappointed will you be? And then you're going to be disappointed in God and in me and then all this stuff. And it's like, you know, at some point I just have to stop managing God's business for him. I, I, I don't have a better plan. 
His plan is really good, so let's do that plan, okay? Let's be the sort of church that actually expects God to show up. And we, we do the sorts of things that, well, if he doesn't, this is going to be pretty embarrassing. We're going to fail pretty hard, and it's going to be, ugh. I was at this conference uh, this weekend uh, on, on the Holy Spirit, and this guy, the pastor there is really good. He says, they give out three awards every year at their church, and one is for the most awkward ministry moment. One is for the greatest, most public fail <laughs> right? <laughs> and then one is for the nicest. I mean, they have one nice award, right? But they really, they, but they basically they're saying like, like, it's so much better that we should try and step out to seek the Lord and fail than that we shouldn't try at all. We should applaud when we seek the Lord and think, oh, maybe God will show up in the moment. Uh, it's like way better to do that than to just say, to think, oh yeah, well we would, but we actually don't think, we don't really trust God. We don't think actually God's going to be here present with us. Like let's Let's fail a little bit together, right, as we seek him. Like, that's probably our fault, but, like, I think we can learn and grow into being present with him. Okay, so, oh, gosh, I told you I was going to be long. I think, I think I can catch up. I think a lot of things. <laughs> uh, okay, so presence. Like, we're going to seek presence in personal prayer. We're going to seek presence together uh, as, as a church. Um, formation, okay. Um, if you've been around this last year, I, I think you know how I feel about discipleship. I've talked about a lot about discipleship and formation. Um, it's a big deal. And the thing about that, that I feel like about, about discipleship is that it has a lot more to do with the type of life you're living than anything else. I think a lot of times we associate discipleship with I learn the rules and then I, I kind of get my life I live in this house where, where I, I obey the rules and I stay in the house, you know, I stay in this, this territory. And that's, that's good. That's early stage discipleship, actually, because we do need to change our, our habits and our behaviors. Like, there's some things that are not in keeping with being a disciple. Sexual sin, uh, anger, bitterness, uh, wrath, envy, hatred, self... Like, actually, there's, there's lists of these things in the Bible, right? Things not in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit. And there's some things that we can simply, by will, decide not to do any longer. And we need to do those things. But I truthfully believe that what, what the further thing in discipleship is, is learning how to live a certain kind of life. It's learning how to live a certain kind of life. We've talked about this these habits, um, and I know like, we're just scratching the surface on this. I've talked about it for about a year. Again, I, it's just like prayer. I expect two, three, four more years until we are actually doing these things. Won't be disappointed if that's how long it takes. Steady progress is what I'm looking for. Steady progress and starting to build in habits into our life. And the reason that I expect it uh, to take that long is because it's hard. Your life is like a speeding train, Right? You ever watch those like um, uh, heist movies where somehow they get on a train and they have to get off the train, but the train ain't going to stop? How do you get off the train? Just throw yourself off. I don't want you to throw yourself off a train. You've got to slow the train down. That's what I want to do for you. We're going to slow the train down. We're going to try to figure out how do we get on a train going somewhere else? I think that's really what discipleship is. How do we start to work with the Lord and create our lives, like, like have habits and form ourselves into be the sorts of people who are able to listen to him? Who are, who are just like able to, to be present to the Spirit and to hear from Him. A lot of us are just so busy that we don't have, we don't have time or energy or, or bandwidth or whatever we want to call it to do that stuff. We need to slow the train down. And there's something about this like, like formation thing. I, I, I love I-90 Church because um, we've, got, we've got a lot of people who are in the same thing. We're, we're doing the same thing. I think we're, a lot of us are up against the exact same struggle. 
I, th- I think there's, there's some of us who are like, maybe, maybe like a couple of us who are like newer to the faith, and that's great, like awesome, awesome that we have, like kind of newer believers, like, like trying to figure out some, some early stage discipleship stuff, and like so good, such, such an encouraging thing, like let's see more people in that stage. And we have a few like people who are, who are more advanced, more, more advanced in their Christian walk, you know, who are in this like late stage of discipleship, and they're just like people who are full of love, and they, they serve the Lord joyfully, and they've got some stuff figured out. And then there's the fat middle, where, where I am, by the way, where I am, and where a lot of us are, where it's like midlife Christianity, and we're kind of in our midlife crisis. Well, this, is the, this is the midlife crisis church. Hello. Well, welcome. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad. Well, let's, that's rebrand. Midlife crisis church. <laughs> but it's, it is. It is. I, I really feel like that's where we're at. Um, there's this, this model of uh, stages of faith. Um, I have a little, little uh, diagram of it, right? I think this is really helpful. And this is where I see like most of us being, okay? So I'm just going to explain the model really fa- fast. John Mark Comer talks about this a lot, and I stole it from him. And, you know, there you go. Uh, not original, um, but this is by some psychologists, uh, well, not psychologists, they're, they're um, scholars at um, Fuller Seminary, right? And they're kind of modeling, what, what are the phases of, of growth for a Christian, right? And, and, and the first three phases are, are pretty straightforward. They're the sort of things that we would expect, right? Number one is like a recognition of God. Stage, in stage one, we, we just like coming to Jesus, right? I was, I was, turned away from him. I was not interested in God, but suddenly God showed up in my life. There's revelation, and I recognize God, and that's like, I get saved, and that's an exciting and awesome time. Stage one, we've all been there, right? Probably, probably if you're here, you, you went through that at one point. Um, if not, hey, jump on, the, jump on the stage. It's a great stage to be on. Um, like, I come in and recognize God is real, uh, he's awesome, he saved me, right? So you get, get in this first stage of growth, and, and it's exciting, and you're full of zeal, you're probably going to break some things in your life at this point, right? Um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, I, I got saved, and then I went to uh, summer camp. Do you remember this? Remember this, Mom? I went to Mom and Dad. I went to summer camp, um, and I came back, and I, and I threw away all my CDs because I'm going to follow the Lord. But Napster had just come out, and so like a year later, I had them all again digitally. But I had stolen them this time. So that was good. But I had bought them already, so I, I didn't feel bad about it, right? But you're in that stage, and you're just like, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and it's going to be great, and oh, everything's so cool, and I'm, forget about these CDs, right? And then what happens is you go into stage two, and you start to kind of get your life together, and, and the zeal kind of cools a little bit. And that's okay. That's okay. You don't always need to live on the mountaintop. You go into a different place, and you start to get your life together, and you start to be a little bit more steady. You start to get your sexual sin in order, if you got that. Start to get your, your, your tongue in order, your anger in order, and, and God is good, and you get surrounded by people who get to encourage you, and that's a good place to be. And you start to mature a little bit, and your passions are under control a little bit more, and you're seeing good things happening. It's a good stage to be. And then you come into stage three, the productive life, and you start to serve. And the church is really good at plugging you into place to serve, right? And then the church is really good at finding you a place to give, right? So you do that, right? And you're contributing to the mission, and it's good. This is the natural progression of things. It's a good thing to be. But what John Mark Comer notes, and, and, and the people who developed this model notes, is that the American church is great at stages one to three, and then after that, we don't have any idea what happens, oftentimes. 
How do we get past these stages of maturity? And what a lot of people are, are, get frustrated by in, in their midlife Christianity is they go through the things, they, they follow Jesus, and they do this early discipleship, and they're doing things for Jesus, and they're making choices, and good choices, and it's good, that's progress, you know, because we know I gotta follow Jesus. I gotta take up my cross and follow him. That's what he's called me to, and it's good, it's great. And I'm going to serve, and I'm going to do things, and I'm going to be productive. And then after five, ten years, most Christians, the zeal has calmed down, and they just find themselves in this life where they're serving, and they're not resentful of it, they're happy, it's good, but it isn't what they thought it was going to be. And there's still stuff in their life, you know? And then they start to usually seek out the Lord and start to try to move into stage four, which is this journey inward. And they start to ask themselves, what is wrong? Because I used to feel this way and I was so excited and then I don't anymore and now things have cooled. And, I, and I'm like, I feel like I'm doing all the things I'm being told to do, but it's just not what it was. Where's the spark? Where's the fire? Where's the passion that I had? How do you sustain that over the course of a life? Midlife problems. And what uh, the people who make this model ha have said is that, is that what happens is as we go in this inward journey, everyone hits a wall. Everybody hits a wall. And it could be because of a grief, like some sort of crisis. Maybe somebody dies, right? And, and you like try to like turn to your faith for comfort, but you're like, Ah, this thing, like, I used to have zeal. This used to be the solution to all my problems, but now I just, I'm like stuck. Like, I'm hitting a wall. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go further into this thing, all right? Or you, you, you have a, a crisis of doubt where you're just like, yeah, this makes sense, but a lot of things make sense, right? I mean, can I go another way? Isn't there another way to follow Jesus and be good with God? Like, isn't there some other thing? And a lot of people just walk away or they cool down or they deconstruct or they do all the things that people do, right, when they hit the wall. But what we're called to do, at least according to this model, and I think it's true to, to life experiences, is we have to go through the wall. We have to go through the wall. You have to go on to something else. And it is, it is a difficult and painful journey to go through that process. And it's totally consistent with what Jesus talked about, right? Because, I mean, this was my thing for me, like, just, just personally, I came to faith um, in my early teens, and I spent a long time in stage two, you know, stage, got, got, got excited, threw my CDs away, a long time in stage two, probably longer than I needed to, <laughs> you know, and like, uh, getting my life together. But by the end of college, I more or less had my life together, and I went away, I moved to Central America, like you do, and I met my wife um, and just like discerned, like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to the Lord for ministry, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do big things for Jesus. And so I, I did that, and then, like, for a long time, and it was, it was good, not at all resentful. Our 20s, like, like Molly and I lived in a place we didn't want to live, and we served Jesus because he put us there, and he's in charge, and so we're just going to do what he calls us to do. And then I came into my early 30s, and I started to just become aware of a lot of things that this wasn't like, like yeah, I was, I was like being obedient. I was like, I checked all the boxes. I'm doing the discipleship things. Like, isn't this it? And it, but it wasn't as satisfying. Like, I became aware that while I had served a lot and done a lot of things and experienced some amazing things, I just still had a lot of issues. 
I had a lot of stuff. I wasn't nearly as prayerful. Probably am still not nearly as prayerful as I'd like to be. I wasn't like enjoying the presence of God like I know I'm called to be, like I remember and I've been told. And, and he's shown up into me at sometimes. And yet why is that inconsistent? Why do I go through dry spells? And, and I just, I had a ton of issues. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to serve my way out of them. Because this is the thing that we, we think. Right? This is the problem. The reason that we hit the wall is because we've been told, we've been, we've been good Christians. We've read what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to serve, uh, to save his life will lose it. And whoever, whoever loses his life uh, because of me will find it. We're good Christians. Like We've been formed in this discipleship idea. I put down my own preferences. I order my life after what Jesus tells me is right. That's obeying his commandments. That's good. That's right. That's the way to do it, right? I commend this. This is a normal and appropriate stage of Christian development. And then I go and serve, and I, get, I, go, I do the go. I go on mission. I go out because he told me I got to go out. I got to serve. I got to help build the kingdom, build the church, serve in kids' ministries, serve in preaching. I don't know. Strum a guitar. Don't know how to play? That's all right. It's just Christian music. <laughs> oh, my experience. Still don't really play the guitar that well, honestly. Uh, you know, five chords. What, do you, what else do you need? Capo. That's all. That's a joke for guitar players. Um, so you get to this point, and you're doing all the things, and you think, Jesus, I'm doing it. I'm, I, I, I took up my cross. I'm following you. But then, like, I hit my 30s, and it's like, what, like what, what else is there? And then all of a sudden, I notice that this doesn't say what I think it says. This doesn't say, this, this is, Jesus is not saying, hey, you, come and do some stuff for me. Make a choice and do some stuff for me. Actually, there's a second sentence there, right? It is, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. Yeah, these things. But it also says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And that's not quite what I was doing. I was thinking, I'm going to do some stuff for Jesus, and that's going to be deeply satisfying. And what Jesus said is, oh, yeah? <laughs> okay, yeah, for a little while, you're going to start to do the things just like the disciples did. You're going to do some stuff for Jesus. And then what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show you some things about yourself that need to die. And you're going to say, I don't know how to fix that. And you're going to have your selfishness exposed, right? And you're going to have um, your, your kind of like false identity that you live into exposed. And you're going to say, I don't know how to fix this. And you're going to have like um, your attitudes and, and your, your physical problems. Like you're, you, maybe you're, you're depressive. Like maybe you, um, you talk trash about yourself. Maybe you, maybe you love to just um, be down on other people and blame them, right? You know, you have some things in your life that aren't, they're not like, like, I can't think of the Bible verse that says this is bad. It's not like going around getting drunk, sleeping around. Like, it's not like uh, in, in the, this thing, but it's like, it's actually stuff that's really stuff that the Bible calls flesh, right? Or self, right? And, and you have to do something about it. Jesus says you have to, to let it die. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, this is his vision of the Christian life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now that is more than I just do some stuff for Jesus and he loves me and he takes care of me and everything's fine. Being crucified with Christ and having myself die is something else. 
and I would hit a wall, and I have hit a wall, and I think I'm still going through a wall of trying to deconstruct this stuff. And I know that's a buzzy word, but whatever. You're trying to literally, literally deconstruct the wall, okay? This is, this is all I'm talking about. I'm trying to say, okay, there's something, there's further progress to be made, but I am the problem, and I don't know how to fix myself in the same way that I don't go into surgery and say, thank you, doctor, for having me. I'd like you to observe while I cut myself open here and do some stuff. When I go to surgery, I get put under, and the doctor takes over, right? A lot of our early stage development is I'm going to sort myself out a little bit, and it does involve the will, and that's good. You need to make choices, and you need to deny yourself, and you need to seek out Jesus, but you get to a point where you can't do the work anymore, and you need to turn to him, and he needs to take some things away, and it hurts, and we don't know how to do it. And I, like I, when I was 13, I had a brain tumor out, and the scariest moment in my life was right before they gave me the drugs, and then I felt great, right? (laughs) But right before going under, I was very funny which was, I was hilarious when they gave me all that stuff. Everything was funny. But I was never more afraid than when I was about to go under for surgery because I was out of control at that point. And I had to put myself into the hands of these doctors and I didn't know if I was going to come back. That's scary. And that's the wall. And so we get to points of crisis, and we lose people, and we grieve, and we think, how can I go on with my life anymore? And we have to go into the next place and let Jesus bring us past there. Or, like, honestly, like, a lot of it's grief, but a lot of it's just, like, normal flesh. It's normal self stuff. I'll tell you my biggest obstacle right now, my biggest brick is, uh, is this brick, <laughs> In that I am just, um, I've been actually recently diagnosed with ADD, ADHD. I, I, Bob, who's a physician, he's, he like very kindly suggested a couple months ago, he's like, have you ever thought about that? And, and I think I, what's funny is, is here is I'm saying this and you're all probably like, yeah, you didn't know? I did not know. I did not know, right? So I'm already kind of distractible. And then I'm telling myself, I need to live this kind of a life that involves slowing myself down. But I am constantly distracted. And then I have this thing in my pocket. And it is just really good at continuing to make me distracted. And, you know, I could think to myself, like, like, um, like early days, uh, I could think to myself, like, how do, how do I fix this? The thing about the cell phone to me, okay, the thing about the cell phone to me, it's not just a thing. It's not just a habit. There's so much of myself and who I think I am tied up into this little thing. It's weird. It's, it's a weird point of convergence because this is my professional life, my email, so that I can check my emails, which is mostly spam, right? But I got it, got it so I can get back to emails if I have to, right? And then I can just worry about them. Right, so constantly, wonderful, wonderful technological innovation, right? So, 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 and, and, and there's like something about this, like, like my family life is in here. Like, I take photos of my kids in here, and like, and then like, and there's this constant pressure to kind of like put on a face on your social media. It's like, like so many identity things are happening for me in here, right? Probably a lot of identity things are happening for you in here. Um, right, so this is my, my obstacle. This probably isn't your obstacle right now, right? But there, there is a calling that you have to follow Jesus and, and, and to go past, like, just, just the willpower and surrender himself to you, and, you, and you've got you to gotta deal with it. 
This is where we're at as a church, guys. You, we are up against walls of varying kinds. We're up against things that are in our way. Some of it's like pride. Some of it is uh, control. Some of it's like, like me, like distraction. Some of it's just sin. Stuff that you got away with for a long time, you thought it was fine, it's not okay anymore. We have, we're hitting walls and we're asking ourselves, why aren't we good? Why am I not, don't have the joy? Why, where is, where is the, like, the, the, the promise? Where is the promise of power and, and, and overflow? Like, where is that again? And the thing is, it's on the other side of the wall. And you have to take the wall down. So what we need to do together is just deal with some things. And honestly, I think the greatest obstacle to us, us actually doing this is, and I've, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard this seven times. I'm not joking. Seven different people have told me something like this. So if I'm saying it and you've told me it, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you and six other people. So just, you're, it's a crowd. It's, it feels, feels better. I've heard a lot of people say this about I-90 Church. We're too comfortable, which is midlife. You get, you get in your routines, you get too comfortable. Um, how did, when I was really on fire for Jesus and I went to camp and I felt convicted, I did something drastic. And it didn't, didn't really last, honestly. So I, so I kind of criticized that in my mind. I kind of criticized my youthful zeal and I think, oh, that was silly. Like that, but what did it really do? And, and, and it's kind of made me a little cynical. And so now I, I, I'm facing this wall, right? And I'm realizing there's some things that I need to do, but I don't have the zeal. And in fact, I've kind of constructed this idea of who I am as a, as a kind of mild-mannered person who doesn't get too worked up over things because I'm almost 40, all right? So that's, you know, I've got to be mature and I've got to be great. And so in, in that, that mentality... And I like to be comfortable, and I like to be in control, and I like to not deal with stuff. That mentality, of, I'm, and I'm trying to say, okay, like, I have this distraction problem, but I'm, like, still trying to just, just manage it. I'm just trying to manage it, right? And what I really need to do is I actually need some zeal. I need zeal to say, this is a huge problem, and I can just deal with it. And I'm done. I've wanted to do that for two years. Right? Yeah, okay, yeah, great. We're comfortable. Yeah, we're comfortable. It's nice being comfortable. You get back to your emails on time when you're comfortable. You're more available. You appear more professional. You look like you're more in control. And you, 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 like get, you, get, thank, you get thanked. You get pats on the head for being comfortable and predictable and professional and, and calm and collected. But... But Jesus wants you to die. And you're wrapped up in things that are just like, just not worth hanging on to anymore. You're obsessed with your comfort. I'm obsessed with my comfort. I'm obsessed with being professional and together. And I just want to be like that. I want to be like that kid who threw his CDs away, expecting that God was going to meet him on the other side. Because I've lost that. I don't know how to follow Jesus past what I've done, because I've done a lot of things in my will, and according to my, my planning and my thinking, and now I'm at a wall, and it's just like, oh, I just have to be a different person, and I just have to be put under, and I have to let God fix me. But I'm not going to be put under if I don't show up to my appointment, and I don't let God do the work, and that's what this is. You have to slow yourself down, and you have to spend time with God 
and you have to be less distracted. And I have to do that too. And this was the only way for me. Because I've tried to manage it. I just have to smash it. Let's smash some things. Okay? That's my invitation, right? I thought that would be a good visual. I cut myself. Look at that. How immature. I need a boop band-aid. No, I don't. It's not that bad. Uh, no one get me a band-aid. That'd be really embarrassing. So... How do we do this? Okay, so here's one thing, just to get really practical. Small groups, a lot of us are in small groups, and it's great. I really want to encourage you to be up in our, in our upcoming thing of small groups, which is the end of next month. That's really pretty much almost in two months, really, the beginning of March. March. Very last week of April, spilling over into March. And we are, we are going to be doing some stuff that's like, I wouldn't have done it a year ago, because I'd be like, this is just like, we're not ready for this. But I think we're ready for this now, and it's, um, I, I hate the title, so I apologize for the title. It's, 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 it's a, you know, a video series, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I hate that title. I hate it. It's just awful. It, it's awful because it's, that's not what it is. It's not group therapy. I'm not asking you to go to group therapy with all your friends because nobody's going to want to do that. What it is is a vision for discipleship that's going to really f- help you figure out how to address the wall. And you will figure out how to address the wall when you can slow your life down, get your attention on Jesus, remember to be in his presence. Like there's some, some really practical ways to do this. And so my challenge to you, if you want to take this next step, you want to get out of middle age and through the wall and into this place where you actually have greater love and you have greater uh, surrender and greater peace, like, like would you please be a part of this? I have, to, I have to beg you because it's longer than our normal ones, which I try to keep pretty short. It's going to be going to be longer. It's going to ask for a big commitment. And everything inside of you is going to be like, I don't want to do this. Just like I didn't want to get rid of my cell phone. But now it's done. So I'm just asking you to, to drum up that kind of zeal and to say, all right, let's get ready. Like, let's, let's deal with some stuff. Um, let's, let's break through some walls here. Because, like, when we get to this stage of midlife stuff, like, we really have to deal with the deep stuff. You don't get by anymore dealing with the surf- surface level stuff. That's, that's the problem. And honestly, like, the church isn't really good at helping people deal with that deep stuff. And so this is the best thing I can come up with, at least for now. Um, I expect God to show up. And I want to ask you guys to expect that too. So if you can, by any means, get into a small group this upcoming time, it'd be a, a, great, uh, a great time to step into those things. Um, that's my ask. And the final thing, I'm getting there. Oh, this, yeah, it's not that bad. How did that happen? It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, the final thing, uh, mission. I want to talk about um, mission a little bit, um, right? Because it's, again, this foundational thing. It's mission. We are going to do some things as a church that are, like, outreach-oriented this upcoming year. You probably saw on the calendar uh, something labeled emotional health outreach, right? And that doesn't help you very much at all. Or, or, yeah, something like that. And what we're going to do is we're going we're to put on a few, like, events. We started to do some of that last year. Um, kind of learn some things about, about that, but events where we can invite the community in and <laughs> serve them, 
and then also hopefully open the doors for the gospel, right? And we've done a, a few things. We started a MOPS group here, which is great. Uh, Marilyn, uh, Ashley, Lenore are all like, uh, and, other, and other ladies too, are all like engaged in this. And like we have a bunch of ladies, um, some of who are not, don't know Jesus, um, coming into this building every, every, every other Wednesday, not every Wednesday, every other Wednesday, um, you know, Mothers of preschoolers, it's great. We're going to try to do more things like that. Uh, this uh, mental health outreach is going to be geared towards um, high schoolers and parents of high schoolers who are getting ready to go into college. And how do you prepare yourself as a family to make that transition? We think that will be actually really helpful as our community. And, and Bob, a, a family therapist, and a few of his colleagues are going to come and help, help us put that on. Um, I think that's going to be fun. It's going to be a good, big, big sort of outreach. We're going to be working on, still working on bringing in kind of a, a speaker at the end of the summer, early fall sort of time, time range. We're going to be doing things like that, you know? And, like, this is what the American church is good at. What most churches do well in evangelism is they do good events. And actually, Sunday turns into an event, right? Which is okay. Um, it's fine. But here's, what it, here's the thing. How did the early church become the most effective missional organization in the world? Was it because of their great programs? I, I, I'm not, I, again, I, I just told you, we are doing some outreach programs. We're going to do them. They're good. But that is not the thing that's going to turn the engine over and get the car moving. What happened in the early church is that people were filled with the Spirit, and they were formed and shaped into the kinds of people who were just sold out for Jesus, whose identities were just wrapped up in him, to the point that we could say, I'm not even alive anymore. It's Christ living in me. I've dealt with my stuff. I've thrown out all the bricks. And then those people just became mission events in their everyday life. They didn't have, a, you know, the smoke show or the lights or the, you know, the compelling speakers. In fact, in the early church, if you wanted to go to church, you had to wait a year, be a novice, and then you could come. Why? Because they didn't want Roman soldiers coming in and killing everybody in the gathering. And yet, in the midst of all of that, the church goes from a, a few thousand people in, in Jerusalem to, by 300 years later, half of the world is Christian. Half of the Roman Empire is Christian. Not because of their great evangelistic programs, which are fine and good and we should do those things, but because people got real about following Jesus. They died to themselves. And as they died, they found resurrection power in the presence of God. They became people who people looked at and just said, man, there's something going on in you. Like, you are just, like, full of this life that we're not familiar with. You guys, like, we need to be those people. Like, the greatest missions strategy we can come up with is to do the other thing, the discipleship and people who are present with God, who are shaped in his presence, who are growing mature, who are dying to selves. Then we will be missionally inclined. So, yes, let's do some things. Let's do some outreach. Let's be creative and evangelist. Oh, I'm sorry. I just burped into a microphone. Dying to myself and my impressions of myself as a serious professional person. That's gross. Oh, okay. 
My wife is mortified. Um, let's, like, guys, yeah, this is the way that the mission is going to go forward. Like, we're just going to become people who are just sold out for Jesus. Way longer of a process. Way more complex. Kind of way heavier lifting. And way more on you. Like, way more on you to participate in it, right? Um, but I think it's the only way. I think it's the only way. Hey, the, the worship team's going to come up here. Um, I was going to do also, like, I, I, traditionally, uh, we've done, like, a financial update. I'm just, I just decided to move that to the beginning of next week's sermon. I wasn't going to have time to go and that. And, and long story short, things are pretty good. Things are fine. Things are fine. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll go into more detail um, next week's sermon. I was just going to break it up and do it apart. But I was like, oh, this is going to take way too long. I was going to talk. Um, so, yeah. Guys, you know, I, uh, it's weird being a pastor because you, you have to do these two things. Like, like you want to be selfless, right? You want to not be concerned about who you are, but you, you have to stand up in front of people and talk on a regular basis. And so, like, I know this thing about me. I, I think I'm sort of underwhelming. I, uh, and I've, I've kind of compensated for that by trying to be weird and having long hair, you know, and kind of le- like leaning into this identity of like, oh, I don't even care if I'm underwhelming. You might care. I don't care. I don't care, right? You know, and kind of being indifferent and cynical and like that's lame. Um, and I know, I know that um, like as a, as a leader, like I have so many blind spots. Um, I know this about myself. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking you to say, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's, it's, this, I just, this is me telling you what it is, okay? I, I, I'm the authority on me, I think, and, and God, but you're neither of those. Uh, like, it's okay. Like, I, I, don't, I'm not, I might get better. I hope, I hope to get better. I hope to get better. I'm not going to get that much better. <laughs> I'm not going to get that much better. Um, and so don't put your hopes on me. Don't put your hopes on me. I'm not going to be creative enough. I'm not going to be strong enough. I'm not getting any taller. And we know that's a great qualification for leadership. I'm not going to be any more of a, of a presence or, or an impressive person. I'm not going to be the person who's going to, through my charismatic personality, uh, bring about growth, uh, growth and maturity in this church. The Holy Spirit working in you is the plan. Just, it's nothing else. I hope to always be as unimpressive as I am right now so that we can be impressed that God would do something among us. Because, like, I just, I, I'm just a really, really probably mediocre person. And that's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind. It's okay. I am who I am. I've been this way a long time. It's middle age. I'm probably not going to change. But I really, truly believe that there is something so much better for the church in the United States of America than the way that we've been trying to go about it, which is all go and all hype, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical, but like, you guys, the Holy Spirit in you is the plan, and it is a good plan. It's worked before. It can work again. God is present even to the end of the age, and he can use you, and he can shave off the, the you know, things that need to be shaved off and shape you and form you, and he can bring you through the walls that are in your way. He really can, and he can make you the sort of person, despite yourself, who could be used by him. You really, it's possible, but it involves death. 
You can't try to be who you are and just, oh, I'm just going to give something to Jesus. You have to give yourself to Jesus and to his purposes. And let him supply the power and the grace and the strength. This is what we have to do. This is what the church has always been about. We depend upon him, and that is my hope that we would continue to do so in the upcoming year. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about this year. Um, I hope you are too. And uh, yeah, let's just, let's just pray. I'm going to move that sign because that's really annoying for you. That's all right. I'll, just don't, I'll take it with me. Uh, Lord, we just throw ourselves in your arms. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. We can trust in chariots. We can trust in horses. We can trust in our strength and our ingenuity and our cleverness. Uh, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And that's the cry of your people throughout generations. Those who are strengthened, whose, whose right hand is strong, Lord, are those who entrust themselves to you. Lord, psalm after psalm after psalm. It's the invitation to expect something from you, Lord. And so we just put ourselves down on the altar before you, God. We're not going to be serving you, serving you, serving you while you do something. We're just going to say, here's how I can serve you, Lord. I'll just give you my whole self, my whole identity. I'm going to let you form me and shape me, Lord. I'm going to let you, let you um, even uh, bring, bring me through this process of, of dying to myself and who I think I am so that on the other side of it, I can be just a person of love. Love that does not think about what I'm owed. Love that doesn't think about what I deserve. Love that does not uh, count the wrongs done against me. Because I'm so secure in the life that you give me, in your presence and your kindness. where we lay down before you. We're not hyping ourselves up or trying to, to make ourselves stronger, Lord. Our strength comes from you, Lord Jesus. We just want to put ourselves before you. We want to have joy in your presence, Lord. We want to have hope. We want to have renewal. We want to seek your spirit. Lord, come and fill this place. Come and fill our lives, Lord. Lord, if we've grown cold and indifferent, Lord, would you show us again what it means to offer you something, something that's deeply personal, to offer you something good, Lord, and what you do with the things that we give you, Lord. You are so good, Lord. So come and bring life, Lord, as we lay our lives before you, as we seek you as a church this year, Lord. Would you bring the power? Would you bring the strength? Would you bring your presence, Lord? Would you shape us and form us into disciples? And would you send us out on mission, Lord? People who know you, have been with you, who live with you, would you make us into those sorts of people? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand up and worship the Lord. I'm